0: Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, the Pavel Sivakov edition. As a kid, Pavel tried lots of sports before taking to cycling like a fish to water, or more accurately, like the child of two professional cyclists to cycling. We chat about the new wave of young professionals, as well as having Chris Froome as your domestique and racing with your childhood heroes. Also, guess that snack is back and I'll be daring to clean my gutters in stage six of the grand chores. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again a drum by ah. Proven to say between two and 5 watts, the combination of ceramic Speeds OSPW system and UFO chain make for one of the fastest drivetrains on the market. And throughout June, order an OSPW system at Sigma Sports and get a free UFO chain. There's never been a better time to upgrade to ultimate performance. But be quick, because this great offer ends on Tuesday, June the 30th. Find out more about this offer on the podcast page at sigmasports.com. Pavel Sivakov is an emerging young pro with limitless potential. At a very exciting stage of his career with Team Ineos, you can see vast season-on-season improvement, and he already has a string of top results to his name, like winning both the Tour of Poland and the Tour of the Alps in 2019, as well as a mighty debut at the Dura d'Italia, finishing 9th overall. He's also wise beyond his years, but does he really know his snacks? Let's find out. Pavel, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, great to have you here. Uh, well, not here because I'm in my house in West London. And you are, actually, do you want to explain exactly where you are for us?
1: Yeah, th- uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm actually in uh, Isola 2000, which is uh, south of the French Alps. And um, I'm on a training camp with the team. First training camp since the lockdown. Um, only five of us here. Um we didn't want to make uh, like a big training camp you know with uh, with what happened but yeah it's been now just a bit more than a week then that we're here so it's, go- it's going well
0: uh, so isla 2000 there was a a tour de france stage finished there the last couple of years wasn't there i think i've been up there myself
1: I, i'm not sure it was here i don't know actually it's um literally on the almost on the border with Italy with a um, Colle de la lombarda oh, um, okay so it's like it's maybe it's less than an hour from nice actually all oh, right uh, okay. Okay. yeah 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 uh, usually i'm uh, I'm living in Andorra, but now um yeah we had this training camp plan um as part of uh the, like the, the tour prep so uh, yeah, I thought I thought after such a long time, you know, being home alone, away from the team, it was uh, it was really nice to catch up for two for two weeks here with the uh, with the boys. So yeah, I don't regret it at all. Uh, it's a, it's a great camp.
0: So what? Who are the other? If you don't mind me asking, who yeah, are the sure. other riders that so, you're, you're with? So who you're training with.
1: So here it's me, um, G. Thomas, um, Frumi, Kiato, and uh, Dylan Van Barl. So it's a it's a good group. Yeah, doing some some nice rides.
0: What's I mean? It, before we, I mean, we'll we'll move on. I, I kind of want to start at the beginning in, yeah. in a little while, actually. About about your a little bit about your career, so people get yeah. to know you a little bit more. Although yeah. you've you've had an amazing season, especially last year. But but while we're on the subject of, of training camps, I mean. Um, Clearly, I've, I've looked. You're on the kind of long list for the Tour de France team, which is one of your main ambitions. It didn't happen last year, of course, but you, in your debut, well, one in your debut Giro, you obviously rode the Vuelta before you were ninth. But to be now on the roster for the Tour de France, given the the strength of the team, uh, it, you must be immensely proud of yourself. And um, but also under a little bit of pressure as well to make sure you're in the right kind of shape.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you say. So yeah, it's, it's a big honor to be on the, on the list. Um, I have to say, uh, I, I did a good job, uh, proving myself, uh, on three weeks last year on the Giro, uh, finish with the top 10, which, which was great, but, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't mean anything for this year for, for the tour, you know, um, it's like you say. Uh, it's a bit of pressure. You you never know. It's such a strong team. Like uh, all the ten guys who are on the list. It's just uh, amazing riders. And uh, yeah, until the moment that they they make the selection. Uh, yeah, it's it's on. You know, you have to to work hard for it. And yeah, tr- I'll try to make the, to make the best of it. And yeah, if uh, anyway, I think they they'll take the best guys. If I'm good enough, I'll be there. If not then that's sport, that's life. And uh, yeah, there will be plenty of other opportunities.
0: I mean, it's quite an interest. I mean, I say an interesting situation where we, we could talk all day about lockdown and about coronavirus and how it's affected the sport. But let's face it, the run into the first Grand Tour of the year uh, is like nothing in, in living memory, is it, at all? But do you think, I mean, this is maybe a strange question, but do you think you're in a better place to adapt at only 22 years of age and only having ridden a couple of years at World Tour level, maybe more than the the elder riders in the team who are okay, more exp- experienced, got a, a, a larger palmarès. But you know, I very used to a certain way of preparing for a Grand Tour. So, do you think this unorthodox position that you find yourself in, all of us, in fact, will be a benefit? Or, or what do you kind of make of the whole situation?
1: Uh, actually, it's, it, that's a good point. I haven't thought about it like this. Um, it's true that for, for the guys, is like a completely different approach. Like They, they used to, to have, uh, I would say, pretty much the same schedule leading into the Tour every year Like in terms of racing, which changed, but not quite a lot. Like, let's say the Dauphine or Swiss, you know, it's pretty much the same period. Like And then, yeah, training camps. And this year, yeah, it's completely completely different approach. And yeah, it could be actually, it could be better, but yeah, I guess. At the end of the day, if you're ready, you're ready, you know. If, uh, yeah. If you train hard and just work for it, no matter, I think, uh, like, in the team, the, our leaders will be ready, no matter what. Uh, I mean, they know what to do. They will, they will adapt, and uh, we've got the, the really good team, I think, to, to help us as well uh, on how to, to manage those things. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's, it's going to be fantastic for... Um, to, to watch actually uh, it's going to be like yeah no one can predict how it will go
0: <laughs> I think it yeah I think that's a really good way of putting it and as I say the, but everybody is in the same boat okay like some countries had more of a lockdown than others but I think most countries now for the last month or so riders have been able to get on the road but um, so just a quick question a little bit about I know you, you can't give everything away about, about training methods and stuff like that but how are you noticing the training load being different than previous years? Because obviously, a lot of the, the training load in terms of preparing for a Grand Tour is racing with periods of altitude. But are is there something different about the way you're training now to kind of make up take up the slack because of the lack of racing, or is it pretty much the same, or is there a little bit more um, intensity about it?
1: No, I would say I would say it's pretty much the same, because um, at the end. No, I think now to prepare for a grand tour, you, you see all the guys going for those uh, quite long altitude camps where they train hard and then they come down and then go racing. And basically now it's, it's what's happening. We've got like a long block of training to do at home. Uh, it's just, be, yeah, it's longer than usual. But then we will like go down and we'll start racing. We'll actually have a month before the tour, which is kind of, kind of ideal in a way uh we won't have to train a lot after that i think now is important to to just be consistent um consistent in your training and yeah in terms of intensity I, I wouldn't say it's it's more now that than before it's pretty pretty much the same same stuff
0: okay and, and what's it like i mean obviously this is year three in the team i mean it's a yeah a strange year but this is it's it's contract year i guess but <laughs> You must enjoy riding with the likes of Geraint and, and Froome and Kwiatkowski and, and, and Dylan. I mean, it must be a good bunch of guys to train with, and inspirational in, in many ways.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, yeah, year three actually already. It's it's going really fast. The time is just uh, yeah flying, and um, yeah, it's it's just it's just uh, like now it's kind of normal for me. But if I would have think about that like a few years ago, it's just unbelievable. I, I watch these guys. Uh, I was actually speaking yesterday with G. Um, he's like about 2011. I don't remember. I was like 14, and <laughs> he was already riding like Giro with Sky, uh, the Tour with Sky, and for me was second in the world. So and now I'm training with them, and yeah, it's just uh, it's kind of like I grew up watching these guys uh, winning races, and now now I'm their teammate and on a training camp with them, which is which is just <laughs> super cool. <sighs>
0: I, I, what 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 kind of stuff do you get up to? I mean, I know that um, having been on camps before, I man, a long long time ago. But um, just give for somebody who's listening in and and kind of uh, being intrigued at the kind of situation, give us a give us a rundown of what what your routine and a day would typically be on a training camp.
1: So basically, here is. Um, uh... Yeah, wake up. Um, I'm an early bird so uh, kind of like I would have my breakfast around 7:30 early in the morning I will breakfast chill a little bit and then um, and then we do um, a little bit of um, exercise like activation mobility before to to head out on the ride uh, like about 15 20 minutes and then uh, yeah we, hit, we we go on the, our ride around 9.30, and then yeah it depends on on the the session could be a long one like up to six hours or efforts like today. Um shorter but much more intense. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's, it's, it's the days are flying here. Everyone is saying actually yeah. that uh yeah it's it's already more than a week and you know you just come back, uh then I have lunch, I have massage, chill a little bit in your room or in the living room with the guys. And it's already time for dinner, and yeah, you know it's just kind of uh, really repetitive, and we just yeah, it just flies on on those training camps where, where you train quite a lot.
0: I mean, normally on a training camp you're doubled up, aren't you? Everybody's uh, shares a room, but now um, I guess you. Am I correct in saying you're in a room on your own?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, we're not in a hotel. We we are in a chalet. So uh, okay. yeah, it's 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 more. I, I like it more like this because you know it's like yeah, a chalet a house. Uh, you just see each other more you, you speak to each other more and uh, we obviously you know we go in our rooms but like we also chill in the living room and like yeah share sh- yeah just share like our thoughts and everything which which is better to, i think on a training camp on a small group like this you know with only five guys it's much nicer to to uh to be in a house
0: that's really cool that's cool i mean yeah Let's 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 rewind a little bit. It doesn't take much to rewind uh, with yourself because obviously you're only 22. I can't believe it. Seems like you've been around for a long, long time, mate. But you're only 22 years of age. Um, you're a citizen of France. You're Russian, but you're born in Italy. So just and and your your mother and father were both cyclists. Your, your father Alexei Sivakov was a, a pro. We'll get onto that a little bit later. But just explain to somebody who's kind of uh, maybe trying to understand a little bit more about you your upbringing because you are you're a person of the world aren't you a citizen of the world really rather than kind of one place you speak multiple languages your background is fascinating
1: yeah exactly so you're right Um, basically yeah born in Italy uh, because my parents both Russians that's why I have the Russian nationality actually never lived in Russia which uh, (laughs) is kind of uh, funny also representing Russia like on uh, with a national team Uh, so yeah born in Italy because um because my parents, uh, when they signed their first pro contract, both of them, they, it was in Italian teams. Um, so my dad signed with uh, Ross Lotto. And my mother, I think was, I'm not sure if that was her first team, but I, I think it's Alfa Lum, which was uh, oh, a okay. women's team also in Italy. Yeah. So, yeah, basically we moved there. I was born there, but then we spent only one year. I was one year old when uh, my dad signed with uh, Big Matt. Over okay. uh, 93, which is a French team. So we moved um, bit south from Paris. And since then, I actually, yeah, never left France until uh, last year when I moved to Andorra. But yeah, still pretty close, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, then um, when I was around eight years old, we moved to the, the Pyrenees. And then a couple of years after that, I started uh, cycling. I would say uh, yeah so I, rem- I think I was 12 or 11 when I started uh, in like a local club in Saint-Gaudens so yeah that's that's how how it is and uh, yeah kind of with a double passport yes so I'm not a typical Russian I would say but no, also not uh, 100% French
0: <laughs> do you I, I, it sounds like a silly question because you're when you when I spoke to you for the very first time I think it might have been last year at the Giro d'Italia, actually. I have a a funny feeling. Um, I was struck. Obviously, I knew your background, but I was struck by your accent. And it is heavily French, I mean, because that's where you spent most of your formative years. But I take it, and clearly, by the way you speak Italian, you speak Italian pretty well. You obviously speak fluent French. I take it you speak Russian as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I I don't speak Italian, actually. Okay, I'm, I'm better in Spanish. (laughs) <laughs> Which is, okay. yeah okay <laughs> yeah so, because you know i i spent so many times in the south of france and they're in school they teach you spanish like english and spanish so okay. yeah i and obviously now i'm living in andorra so it's also kind of spanish-speaking country um yeah i understand the italian but speaking yeah not so not so much and yeah russian obviously so um um yeah, my both my parents were Russian, so the first language I learned is Russian. But I went to school in France, so um, obviously I'm better in French, you know, like all the grammatical and voc- vocabulary everything, yeah, it's just I know just more stuff in French. But for example, um, you know when I first went to the um, to school, I think I yeah. was about 5 year old, years old and I, I didn't speak French at all, so um, my mom was telling me that I was talking to the teacher all the time in Russian like I was talking <laughs> a lot and I was talking in <laughs> Russian to her so yeah yes yeah, obviously she didn't understand anything and then yeah I, I guess when you're young like yeah you, you can pick up a language so quick it's it's a it's a wonderful thing I mean um
0: I think when you look without getting too philosophical about things, but, you know, I think um, one of the wonderful things about cycling, apart from the ability to travel, to meet different people, to see beautiful countries, is the is the multiple languages that are spoken in the, within the peloton and the way that many, many professional riders speak multiple languages. And um, I think when you look at, you know, the, the state of the world today, you know, it, it's, it's certainly not perfect, is it? It's, it's quite a troubled place. There's much to celebrate and also much, there's a lot of work to do as well. But a sport like cycling, um, the way it kind of connects people together uh, and the way it's so multinational you know aside from the sporting side of it I think culturally it's it's exceptionally important isn't it that that um, that uh, it kind of gives people the opportunity to speak in these multiple languages.
1: Yeah exactly I, I'm 100% agree with that and also you know like you said you, you just meet so so many cultures like uh, um, yeah you, you understand people better I think like let's say for I don't know french citizen who lived in france his whole life understand like uh like i don't know an english person is going to be difficult but now you know you see all these cultures how everything how everyone behave and you know it's just like easier to understand like for example i can understand russians but like uh probably like people who don't know how how it is in the country they, they wouldn't because yeah, so, you just travel and all the, all that. Now I'm in the British team, and I, I, I have to say, yeah, now I know the British culture, which which is so so good to to see all those kind of uh, different things. And I think uh, yeah, in life it just just brings you that little extra to to understand people better.
0: I mean, in terms of understanding, I mean, I'm a, a good friend of mine, a guy that you may know, Rob Hatch, a commentator along with me at Eurosport, yeah. speaks speaks multiple languages. Um, and he, th- he thinks, and he's, a, he's a, British, is a British lad, comes from Lancashire, but he spent a lot of time um, in the Canary Islands and, and speaks Spanish and, and thinks in Spanish, speaks Italian, speaks French as well. What language, Pavel,
1: do you think in? <laughs> oh, to be honest, it's, it could be like, you know, like if you're, if, you're, if I'm in a conversation like with, uh, with guys from the team in English and stuff, maybe like if i if i think a bit in my head could be in english you know it, yeah. it depends depends of the um, the surroundings and the moment but okay yeah like some people ask me w- in which language you dream i'm like Fuck, i don't
0: know i was go- i was going to ask yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know to be honest probably in russian i, I think yeah because it's even though it's not my best language because french would be my best language i would say in terms of yeah how how i would say just before how i know it but yeah it's my first language the one i learned and at home with the family i also speak russian like with my sister uh, we both grew up in france and went to school in france but feels kind of uh, we never speak french to each other it feels even weird to speak french to each other which is good I, i reckon
0: sure So to what? Just moving on a little bit then. So you started racing or riding in a club at about twelve or 13, eleven or twelve. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did you have any? Obviously, your your mother and father. I mean, you were immersed in cycling from a very young age. And um, it's very because I was kind of immersed in cycling from quite a young age as well. My dad wasn't pro, but he was very into sports and cycling. But um, can you remember when you first really started to? become aware of it or you were, were there any kind of icons or heroes that you looked up to or did you just start racing and riding oblivious to the kind of the heritage of the sport or, or or did were you aware of it were you reading magazines were you watching the tour on the TV as a youngster
1: yeah yeah of course i was uh yeah i was i was really into cycling from a young age i mean okay. i didn't start cycling really young like i know some guys who started um, earlier than me because my parents they didn't push me into it, but I was always around, you know, speaking about cycling at home, like watching the tour. I've been in the tour. I don't remember it, but I've been on the tour, um, from a, from a young age seeing my dad and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think I started, you know, and I felt like it's probably the sport where, where I'm the best at, you know, I, I played some tennis, played some football, but, Yeah, I wasn't really good at it. But then when I started cycling, you know, I went on that uh, club ride, first ride I did, and I was actually as good or maybe even better than some guys who who were in the club already for, yeah, I don't know, probably a couple of years. So I thought, yeah, "Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. And actually, the first ride I did with the club, I think, yeah, was on the road, but I had a mountain bike with (laughs) slick yeah with slick tires you know so it wasn't wow. ideal and yeah it was yeah so yeah i think i thought i think yeah yeah it, it was something for me and i enjoyed it really um so yeah it's, that's how, how it started for me and then i started racing and yeah yeah just you know and having my parents also knowing about it but i think it's good that they didn't push me you know because sure um I remember even now, like some of the the young guys push, are really pushed by the parents, and I think that's that's really bad. Uh, like you know, the parents like maybe yeah they want their their son or their daughter to win, and and they just push them like on the races, put them a lot of pressure on themselves on them, and yeah, it's just not 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 healthy. I, I think you just have to enjoy it, and if you have to put a, any pressure, it's from yourself that you want to win not your parents. Yeah.
0: I think that's something that I, in pretty much all of the po- this is episode 11 of the podcast and, and I think pretty much every person I've spoken to and it's been a, it's been a really wide range of people it's like that is, is one theme that keeps cropping up all the time is the fact that when you first get into any sport be it cycling, football whatever, running um, I think the important the important factor is, is that a young kid just has the opportunity to enjoy multiple sports or just the outdoor life whether it's just even skateboarding BMX or just you know just play, playing around you know it's enjoyment is fundamental isn't it first with no pressure but I guess it must be quite difficult for parents who come from one particular sport to to back away but I think that is a, is a it's a key parenting skill isn't it is to is the ability to although you might want something for your son or your daughter uh, you just need to to let the child make many of their own decisions and also a lot of mistakes as well it's you know you must nu- nurture them but you should also give them the freedom to make choices as well and that's the that's the best way and, and generally that's the that's the kind of way that gets the best results
1: yeah exactly exactly i think yeah you just have to, to enjoy it and yeah i think if you're anyway if you're if you've got this uh, competitive uh, like mine you know you you will want to win and you will put that little bit of pressure because i think at the end uh personally i think like i need pressure you know to um to be good because without like that little pressure you don't go as hard or as deep as you would but yeah like the parents they should just let their kid enjoy and find yourself you know it's like I I did multiple sports like football tennis and I was pretty bad at it yeah no matter I enjoyed it you know I had some fun saw some new things and then I went into cycling yeah that was it that was what was for me and I was lucky also you know like you say learning from the mistakes and stuff that my parents could could have like they helped me with that They, they, they they told me yeah it was easier maybe for me to learn from my mistakes because they went through it and they just yeah told me not to do that, this or that and yeah it's I think I was lucky in that in that point for sure I mean do, do
0: you uh, as a youngster let's stick with, stick with the time you're first getting into the sport and you're on the long list for the Tour de France this year you've already ridden the Vuelta and the Giro as we've already talked about now 2020 you could be all being well, I'm, fingers crossed from everybody that we do get a Tour de France. It's looking good at the moment. But um, what's your first memory of the Tour de France? I'm, I'm assuming, well, I don't know for sure. I'm assuming you must have gone and watched it living in France as a youngster. Must have seen one or two stages passing by, and your, your father obviously rode as well before. Obviously, when you're a lot younger. But what's your first memory of the tour?
1: Yeah, I, I have to say that I, 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 we got pictures, you know, um, from the the years when I went to see my dad on the tour but yeah. i was so young i don't remember it now actually ah, right. so uh, i have like the clear memory i've got in mind maybe like the oldest memory i have from the tour being there is um i i don't talk about watching the, the tour on tv but being at the tour was um on the stage in the alps on uh Le Grand okay i don't remember exactly which year it was uh i remember that um Linus Gardeman won the stage and still oh, yeah, okay. still got some pictures with at the buses like we got like Torušaft or Denis uh So yeah, it was like at Village Départ, which is which uh, you know, with like when you're a kid, you see these buses, you're like, wow, this is, yeah, this is this is amazing. I, I would I would love to be in one of those uh, one one year one time, you know, in my life and yeah it's uh, yeah it's good memories i think the tour is um it's just big you know like yeah it's just yeah it's it's a different race from all, all the others you can tell when, when you're there already with uh, how it's organized with this village depart and all, all the all the people you've got behind yeah it's just just crazy
0: i mean and what involvement does your? I mean, I, I'd imagine, of course, that your mother and father are very proud of you. But how much involvement do they have in um, in your life now? I mean, uh, how often do you do you manage to see them? Obviously, you're exceptionally busy, traveling all over the place. I mean, um, do you manage to still occasionally get out for a ride with any of your
1: parents? So uh, my dad is is uh, back in Russia. He's in Moscow, okay. and my mom and my sister are living in uh, the south of France, basically where where i grew up started cycling and so yeah my my mom and my sister they or they come to andorra because sometimes you know in between the races uh, it's quite kind of tricky for me to move and it's only 180k from from andorra where where i used to live so it's quite handy Uh, or i go down which which is more rare but actually after the lockdown i went for a for a couple weeks down to to my mom's place and yeah it was, was actually great, you know after all that 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 like periods at the end uh, everyone was yeah, I was really over it like kind of in a not true ideal mental shape, I would say, and going back to uh where I started cycling, getting back to these roads and that was kind of cool it's it was it was nice to just train there and uh, remind myself, oh yeah cool memories and like uh, I, I live uh, close to Baniard de... I used to live close to Bagnères de Lichon. Do you know this saint Girond? Yeah, I do. I do so yeah. yeah, like also riding on roads where I won Ronde Ronde lizard a um, couple, couple of years ago when I was still U twenty three. You know, it, that's all close to my home, so that was cool. Like brought back some some nice memories.
0: So I so you, from from where you were uh, you. Obviously, brought up in the mountains, so they were on your doorstep, weren't you, when you were very young? So I, I take it even before you were racing, you were riding up big climbs on your mountain bike, etc.
1: Yeah, yes, but I wasn't always a climber, I would say, because I was quite big when I was young. If you find some old picture of myself, we'll have to, I was di- d- we'll have to dig fat. some out, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I was pretty fat, and <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I always enjoy the mountains. I think, yeah, when you, when you, when you grow up uh, with uh, with, some, with some mountains nearby it's, it's always it's always yeah enjoyable and yeah you no matter what you, you like to, to go there and um, yeah it's great I think that the where I grew up is pretty is really cool because you've got um, it's basically not exactly in the mountains it's like on doorstep so you can go either on the mountains or on the flat like little hills. Yeah. so it's just perfect you know to, to ride.
0: I'm just, I'm just, I'm just scrolling through. Clearly, you're, you've got an affinity with the mountains because a lot of your recent pictures on Instagram are views from the mountains. Obviously, training with the team and stuff. I mean, uh, we are blessed, aren't we, as cyclists? That some of the some of the terrain, uh, it's it's easy to forget the pain once you get to the top of a mountain and look at it and take a moment to reflect, isn't it? It's astonishing some of the views that you've posted are just beautiful.
1: Yeah, exactly. We were, we were actually talking about uh, about it uh, one day here. Uh, Kiano was actually saying like when when you're a runner uh the range like you go uh for a run is maybe what maximum yeah if you could do a marathon it's 20k in 20k what are you gonna see exactly it's yeah. not so much but for us like on the bikes it's, it's just amazing you go for a long ride you can do like massive loops just see see the world basically and yeah we're we're really lucky with it with our sport i think
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, um, I'm going to test your knowledge now, Pavel, if you don't mind. It's we've, we've uh, we're coming into the part of the podcast where we're going to. I'm going to do a little bit of a quiz. I don't know if you've actually listened to, and oh, you have. You, I do, I do believe you have listened to a few of the other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did. have you um, have you been swatting up? Have you been kind of um, revising about your own results?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. To be honest, no. I didn't want to cheat. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Uh, just give it a go. Just yeah, give it just it a give go. it a go. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So it's the
0: best. The best way to do this, mate, is just to head in blind. I mean, so, some of these are quite uh, obscure. There's there's three questions. Two of them are about yourself, and one of them is a random question. But I think you'll like it when we get to it. So, uh, uh, but basically, here it is. It's the Pavel Simakov quiz. Right. Okay. Get your thinking cap on, Pavel. Yeah. Um, so question number one. Okay. Your winning time at the Tour of Poland last year was... I'm going to give you three choices, okay? So your winning time at the Tour of Poland, was it 26 hours, 18 minutes, 58 seconds? Was it B, 26 hours, 19 minutes and 58 seconds? Or was it C, 26 hours, 20 hours and 58 seconds? So was it 26 hours, 18? 26 hours 19 or 26 hours 20
1: um
0: i would say 19 it was mm. it was 20 i'm ah. afraid yeah ah. sorry yeah we got these sorry so to, I'm, I'm afraid not off to a great start but don't worry yeah. early days <laughs> early days mate just limby just shake, shake yourself off don't get too yeah, stressed yeah. we're moving into question number two okay it doesn't sound very nice when you get that nasty buzzer sound, does it? Yeah, I'm sorry about no, that. No. Uh, what we need next is a round of applause. So, okay, here we go. <laughs> right. I need you to take yourself back a couple of years now, Pavel, to 2018. Okay. In the 2018 Russian TT Championships, you placed second behind Artem Ovechkin. But what was your average speed? Okay. <laughs> was it A... kilometers an hour, B, 50.577 kilometers an hour, or C, 50.578 kilometers an hour? What's your average speed? 5.76, 5.77, or 5.78?
1: 5.76.
0: Correct. Hey, oh, Oh, round of applause. Oh, beautiful stuff. Thanks, guys. A special effect all over it today. Wonderful stuff. So, you've redeemed yourself. You're back in the mix, mate. Um, And this is the final question. It's a bit of a strange one, but I think you'll like it. Okay, here we go. In the 2000 edition, so the year 2000, you would have been three, I think, three or four. Yeah, three. In the the 2000 edition of Parry Camembert, that well-known semi-classic, both your father and I... Did battle so we both raced that event okay yeah. but who who beat who did I beat your dad or did your <laughs> dad beat me <laughs> so okay um, and we uh, let's put it in perspective we weren't in the top 10 put it that way uh, so did Alexei beat Matt or did I beat Alexei and for a bonus point for a bonus point if you guess our placings as well we were quite close together so okay was, did okay. your father beat me uh, and or did I beat your father ah.
1: <laughs> uh, I would say you, you you beat him I didn't your dad beat oh, me
0: shit. oh <laughs> no but it was close I'll give you a bonus point which could bring you back into the mix again for a respectable score if you can guess if we if our, pl- our placings were we in the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s or the 90s <laughs>
1: the the the
0: fifties. Oh no! Wrong again, I'm afraid. Oh, you've been oh. you've been too kind. You've being... basically Alexi was eighty-first, and I was eighty-third.
1: <laughs> well,
0: there we go. Uh, okay. Uh, what a what a wonderful <laughs> no, battle a good, that good was.
1: Question. Yeah, yeah. What
0: yeah, a battle that one. Parry Parry yeah Parry yeah. Pa- pa- yeah, pa- yeah. Pa- yeah. Uh, your dad was eighty-first at five minutes. I was in the next group behind at. I was 83rd at 8 minutes 44 behind the winner, Didier Rue. Lance Armstrong was second, later disqualified. Oh. Igor Flores was third. So, uh, But I did get in the early break. That's why I was a bit tired near the end. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. there, we go. <laughs> there we go. Fair play. Thanks very, mu- thanks very much indeed for your, uh, your, your sympathy there. And it was a quick day, 43.64 k's an hour. So we did go fast in the olden days. We yeah. certainly did go reasonably fast. Right, moving on um, to let's move on to, to last year it was an amazing year for you um, and you had a you had a very difficult opening year with with Team Sky as was through injury and stuff like that but your performances throughout 2019 were stellar I mean you really did develop I mean you are only 21 weren't you last year but what do you think apart from natural you know naturally growing stronger year on year which you would imagine is going to happen for the next few years for yourself right the way through to your early third is if you keep keep on doing what you're doing you're just going to get better stronger more experienced but what was you what do you think was one of your the key things you learned about yourself through through quite a difficult couple of patches that you had in 2018 going through into 2019 and really picking things up
1: yeah i think already in 2018 wasn't really consistent like i had a bad winter and yeah, what well, was an idea? Also started the, the season, you know. I had a few crashes, and yeah, I, actually, I wasn't so disappointed of my season. I had like top fifteen in Tour of Swiss. Then I was selected for the Welta and then obviously crashed there as well. It wasn't ideal, but yeah, I finished the season like quite, quite. Yeah, I mean, wasn't I wasn't the best young guy, but I was quite happy. I, I felt like I progressed from where I started and where i arrived and yeah i was um i was i was looking forward to going to 2019 and yeah I actually switched coach i was with a uh, shabby arteche which is egan Bernal's coach and i went with a uh, team Kerrison at yeah in the winter so yeah I started with him went to australia we had a great training camp me waterpool steel Van bar preparing the the season and yeah i think um what I learned is really being consistent. You know, uh, just yeah, get that training consistency. So you just feels like yeah, you you just good. Uh, not all the time, obviously you have some ups and downs, but yeah, um, yeah. I guess yeah, tr- training wise it changed uh, changed also and. Yeah, really enjoyed Australia, and you know, started quite quite good. I won the young jersey at the Sun Tour. Uh, I was top ten in the in the GC. So, yeah, and then I didn't put too much pressure on myself. Also, I was like, okay, I'll just uh, keep working, uh, keep doing what I need to do, and uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll get, I'll get, I'll be with the best guys one day, you know, because like doing the Vuelta or all those races, I was looking at the. Like even Tour of Poland, I was looking at the, the guys in front, I was like, "Wow, it will take me like yeah, a few years, really a few years before to get to get to their level. And it went, it went much faster than, than I thought. Actually, I, was, I wasn't I was like at the Giro, I wasn't still with the best guys in the mountains, but I made a, made a huge step up. And I think having a good winter also helped me a lot, you know, uh, I, I think is important. Yeah. Um, but yeah it was I'm, honestly i surprised i was surprised myself also uh winning the tour of the alps and then going to the Giro like with this little confidence that yeah. you're good and finishing in top 10 I, I wasn't also like i hadn't i had no idea how three weeks is and how it will go so no it was, it was amazing
0: it's funny because um i was i was commentating on the on the t- your tour of the alps performance and you and teo you know uh, obviously the rest of the team you know really dominated but and obviously Chris Froome was riding as a super domestique for you at the Tour of the Alps i mean obviously you won stage 2 uh, and and led the race but to have to have that little um i guess a kind of dual leadership but with 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 you both taking opportunities to to uh, to try and work over Vincenzo Nibali and then having someone like Chris Froome at your disposal at such a young age and you were still 21 when you won the Tour of the Alps am i correct i think yeah yeah right, exactly it? i mean what, what was that like I mean um, I mean the race itself obviously massively successful for the team and for you and for Teo, but, but to have somebody you know who won four Grand Tours in his career or maybe five at that point maybe six actually seven working for you seven seven <laughs> of course of course because shortly afterwards Chris had that awful crash yeah um, what was that like for you I mean is that the kind of pressure that uh, about 15 minutes ago you talked about needing pressure because having somebody like that working for you that must have been great, but it also must have like, you must have woken up every day in the jersey thinking, shit, I've got to kind of deliver this because Froome's going to be working his
1: ass off for me. As yeah. well as Teo and the rest of the team. So what, what, what was that like? So yeah, I, I th- already like we did, we did the, uh, the Teneriff camp just before that. And, you know, already there, what, having him with us was, was great because, um, you know, just seeing how he does things and every, everything, you know, just learn. And then on the race as well it was just uh, just great to have him because he's got this massive experience of leadership. You know, how, I don't know how many days he spends in a leader jersey, which yeah, which is great. You know, just give you a tip like yeah, a uh, bit more in the back, be a bit more in the wheel, don't stay in the wind, and all those kind of things. And yeah, on the moment, honestly, you know, when you are in the race, like you, you don't think about it, but then you finish and realize you're like, wow, yeah. It's it's impressive, like, and also a guy like this, you know, working for a young young guy, it's just yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, and yeah, with that little pressure, to be honest, was I I just you know when you're in the leader jersey, it's just like yeah, no matter who is working, uh, every every one of the teammates, you know, y- you have to you have to deliver. So yeah, of course, I was waking up and thinking, wow. <laughs> I'll need to be good. I need to be good today. And, uh, having Chris doing the, the job was just, yeah. Amazing. It's, it's just a real, I would say, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you say seven, seven time Grand to winner, uh, working for you. I, I don't think many guys, uh, many guys uh, had this opportunity, which is, uh, yeah. Pretty special for me. And as, um, as a first win as well, you know, it was my first win. Uh, yeah, was, was great.
0: So the, the atmosphere in the team at that particular time was, uh, must have been pretty amazing, especially with Tao getting two stage wins and then you getting the overall on another stage win. It must have been there. Uh, you, you could sense, actually, because as I said, I was, I was commentating on it um, back in London and watching the race unfold and it was it was great to watch it was a spectacular race wonderful it's it's a, I, th- I think it's a really underrated race it's uh, it's getting better and better it had a kind of quiet few years but now it's a really important race on the calendar and hopefully we'll see it see it back next year when we get a normal calendar again but you seem to really relish and you really seem to enjoy the kind of pressure because you both rode except well you and Tao in particular i keep picking out Tao because of the way you rode together as a duo at the sharp end of the race didn't you
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. We we really this like, we're, yeah, we finished first and second. So yeah, it was it was pretty special. Uh, he won two stages. I won one stage in GC. Uh, yeah, it's just we couldn't wish for better to be honest. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's a great race. The if you look at uh, the palmares of the race the last few years, is uh, it's there is some like big names on it, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's I, I think it's a. Is a great, really good preparation for the Giro. Uh, like normally, it's maybe two, two weeks, two, three weeks before the Giro. And no, it's 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 great. Um, but yeah, like you say, we we rode perfectly together. Um, to be honest, it could have been him as well. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the the race unfolded in in that way and. Yeah, we actually went in the Giro, then um, also sharing the leadership, um, and then sadly uh, Theo crashed out. Uh, I think on stage 13 or 14. Which, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was a was a was. A, it's really nice memories. Yeah, how, uh, that's for sure. You know, first win, for sure. I'll remember that. It was also actually also the, the last. Um, last win of uh, of sky like team sky At the moment uh, we changed sponsor so was the, yeah last last win of team sky
0: so yeah sig- significant in in many many ways and then of course that confidence and the condition that you got from that race to go into the giro and things changed didn't they in the week leading up to the giro you were due to be riding in a supporting role for Igan Bernal um a rider that you did battle with in the under 23 ranks before you turned went to world tour level um he crashed out, broke his collarbone just a few days before, and then completely changed the the ambitions and the aims of the squad going into the Jura.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's sad to say, but I mean, sometimes things bad things happen for even better things to come. Like, if, yep. probably, if he wouldn't have crashed, he wouldn't have won the tour. Uh, so, and as well, it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, yeah to be honest even winning tour of the alps gave me some confidence on my level but you know it, like how many days it was maybe five days it's not three weeks and i wasn't like going into the race like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna finish top five or top ten i was uh, it was a bit the unknown and um, yeah the team just team put pressure on 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 myself until you know we we were there for to learn actually yeah, yeah to learn how to race a grand tour for the future and um it was great it was also um i was also really lucky to to have uh, nico there on the race he just yeah for me you know we are both uh, i would say from south west of france and yeah no know, knowing yeah well and also lead as well in andora so as when i came to the team he was kind of uh, yeah Bit more than a DS, I would say. Um, so yeah, it was amazing to, to to have him there on the race. Uh, he, he just he just gives that uh, that calm to you on, on the race, you know, when there is some tricky situations where you start to panic. is he used to yeah just calm you down and yeah and then things just go yeah how they go and yeah it, it was was really really good.
0: It's it's you know, it's. It's lovely that you brought up Nico Portal, of course, who sadly is no longer with us. So, you know, a, a tragic loss to, to, to so, so many people. But it's interesting the way you talk about it, And there's clearly a lot of fondness there. And that was something I was going to ask, you know, you know, in, in Sky, now INEOS, known primarily for their very regimented approach to to racing. Some people say very, very clinical. But when you drill down a little bit further and look at riders as individuals, they're just kind of normal people. And um, and, w- and the one thing I I noticed clearly I was I was around the team a lot, the starts and the finishes. What was the way that, that Nico conducted himself with the press and primarily with the younger riders in the team? And you could quite often I couldn't hear what he was saying, but just the way that he was with you guys, with Jonathan Narvaez as well, all the and it was it was a very very young team that of course rode the Giro last year, an exceptionally young team. Um, but the way he was, just the way his mannerisms and the way he appeared, to, you could almost, from my position and watching just before and after the interviews that I had carried out, I could sense this calm that you had on the team. And clearly, you know, for a young rider with a lot of pressure, that's a very, very important factor, especially in a team that, you know, have got a very, very high standard. You know, um, if you look at the results and you look at the immense pressure, the team with the biggest budget, there's all of these kind of pressures. But you need a steady hand amongst all of that, don't you? You need somebody with a calming influence, with almost like a fatherly, family-orientated influence. And he really was a, a rare, rare commodity, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I never seen him losing it, you know, really, like or like panicking or something. I guess, you know, we just didn't see it. Probably, like, everyone... I, I mean, there is no one who who is calm all the time. But in front of us, the riders, he, he would never yeah, just always calm and it bring, brings you that serenity, you know, and yeah, it's just, yeah, the, the manner that he was talking, like, yeah, it was, yeah, well, it was just bringing you calm and he wasn't always looking for, like, you know, I would say, yeah, like you say, like clinical or something, but his approach was even like more, I would say, old school sometimes, like, sure, yeah, it wasn't always about the what's and about, this or that it was more simple with him I would say and that that was that was really good I think yeah I think everyone in the team can say that that will miss him Uh, yes that's for sure 100% so yeah
0: I think uh, I think the takeaway from that for want of a better phrase is the fact that you will have everybody that's you know worked with him um Will have something to take away. I mean, there's clearly that there's a lot that you can learn from somebody like that, you know, just in terms of your racecraft, the way you carry yourself, the, the way to deal with pressure. But I think more importantly, when you've maybe finished the sport, Pavel, in a whoever, you know, when you're in your 40s or whenever and you look back on the sport and you can take things away from the people that you've interacted with, the people that you spent time with to help to build your personality and to try and, you know, almost kind of give a little bit back in, in the manner that he did. You know, um, I think there's certain people that you that you uh, meet in your life and that you become involved with that have a significant impact in the way that you are as a person.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think so, yeah. There is a lot of uh, to take from him. I'm still young. I'm actually, yeah, I'm sure there would have been much more to, to learn from him and he would have taught me much more things but yeah like this uh, for my first year i didn't spend much time with him but last year i really spent quite a lot of time and um, yeah even off uh, off the off season i uh, yeah, last winter actually as i said we both lived in Andorra and went for a ride with him uh and you know just he was also always fit that was actually yeah, quite surprising i was just coming back <laughs> Coming back from uh, from off season, you know, quite fat, yeah, pretty fat and uh, completely unfit. And we went for a ride. So in Andorra, basically, it's all up or down, and we went all the way down to Spain and then back up. And well, went, well, at one point, you know, we're like into our third hour, and I was like, it's it's pretty tough there for sure. Nico, he will he will probably <laughs> probably uh, like or slow down or ask me to slow down at one point, but. No, he just carry, carried on talking and I was like, "Wow, his fit or I'm really bad now. I need to get back to it seriously. And yeah, and I That's was it. um now for sure it's there's a lot of, a lot of to take from him and yeah. It's really it's really a pity.
0: It's it's it certainly is. I mean that there's uh I, I remember though being in a in a similar situation back in the day when Sean Yates was was my direct sportif when I was a professional, and um, that when that your direct sportif is half wheeling you and giving you problems up climbs, that's when you know you've got to do some more training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's your, although Sean Yates and, yeah, and yeah. both, you know, and both uh, Nico Portal were very, very good bike riders, it's like, ah, okay, maybe I just need to get a little bit fitter. It's always, Yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, now it's over, now I need to get back to it. It's, it's it, Yeah. Yeah, it was the... Exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand with Rob- him, it was also like, uh, yeah, just, you know, always say that you don't need To to, to rush things too early, like uh, I think I will will take that uh, as one of the the big things, you know. Just uh, especially now for a young guy like me, you see, you say that I had a good season last year, but I'm not. I'm thinking like when I look at uh, Egan or Pogacar or Remco, I'm like, yeah, okay, I had a good season, but these guys are they had an even better season, so. Yeah. yeah, you know, and probably you want to be there, but you also, on the other hand, you have to, to be calm and to, to not to rush things. And
0: yeah. it's, it's, it's That's a fascinating point. I'm glad you kind of picked, picked up on it. Um, obviously, not picked up on it. You, you're in amongst it because there are, you know, the tradition in the sport, and, and there's always exceptions in, in, in all different sorts of sports, but in cycling, generally, you know, riders don't mature um, into a grand tour contender or, or they're unable to win monuments or be up in the mix in, in, in the big classics until their mid to late 20s and, and the group of riders you just mentioned Pogachar in particular Bernal but you know uh, uh, and, and and Remco and yourself you're doing it differently I mean is it is this why do you think that is? Okay. Do you think you are just a, a generational exceptions or do you think there's something different in relation to the way that teams are understanding physiology diet or the way that maybe some teams are more nurturing now because it would have been unheard of to enter No, and now there's more and more 19 year olds going straight from under 23 they're miss, sorry they're missing the under 23 going straight from junior to world tour um, and there's, se- there's several riders this year you have one in the squad the, the, uh, the, yeah, the Spanish yeah. guy in your team yeah um, what, what do you think of that what are your kind of thoughts on that do, do you have I I don't know whether you can answer that or yeah yeah
1: I, I, obviously I thought about this obviously I thought about this um I think I think it's because uh, now more than ever you've got access to um, more access to how how to do things from the teams and yeah. like just like Strava and all those kind of stuff uh, teams are sharing more about the training um, how the pros train how how is the nutrition uh, how is everything and uh, I think just the the youngsters are picking up it from a young age and uh i think it, even from i when i look at the juniors now even from the time i was a junior it wasn't so long like super long ago it changed yeah. a bit like everyone is riding with a power meter now when i used to ride i didn't i didn't know i was a power meter at that time and uh, now yeah it's just m- much more yeah m- much more yeah scientific and much more professional from an early age and i think that's that's the reason that w- why we're seeing young guys performing uh, so early uh, and yeah like I, I think i'm not i'm not sure it's um it's good to uh, to go from junior to pro straight away i mean uh, there is the exception of remko but uh, i think he's real exception because you need to learn how to win first in the u23 yeah and even just how to ride i mean um An echelon in the U23, you learn how to do it, but an echelon in the pros is much more difficult. It's like the the level of the guys and how how it is is like another step up. So I think it's important to learn those little details in the U23 rank. Even if you do one year, I don't say you have to do all the three years, but at least do one year. And if you're really good and you won races, then you're ready to go. But yeah. it's, it's kind of strange like even being 23 like in, back in the days would have been super like young guy but now you're seeing those juniors, all those juniors uh, turning pro I don't feel like I'm super young anymore
0: I'd <laughs> say <laughs> uh, it is it's, it is it is fascinating to kind of see unfold that the sport is evolving it's changing um, but I think fundamentally you know it's it's still about making sure we look after the younger riders back to the point that we talked about earlier on you it's just as important for team managers, team staff, um, and also the, the governing body to make sure it, it looks after young riders. You know, um, without wanting to dwell on the, on doping, for example, it, it, it makes sure there's support in place. Exactly. Riders don't take yeah, the, yeah don't take that the wrong kind of path. It also makes sure that the riders' mental health is monitored. And yeah, and I think uh,
1: that's that's a really important point. Mental health, uh, especially now, you know it's so much about watts per kilo and all that kind of stuff and it's easy to put, uh, to put too much pressure on yourself uh, wanting to be too too skinny or too, yeah, you know, you, you have to find that balance and even how, you know, sometimes even I like, I'm like, shit, I'm too fat now and this or that, but uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I think, um, I think that lockdown period was, was actually pretty good for you, to just look back and, Realize that, yeah, no need for such pressure, it just comes, you know, if you just do things right and calm, uh, yeah, it will come when it needs to come. No need to uh, to rush things. If it's, Yeah, I think uh, mental health is really important, and uh, especially with the young riders when you turn pro, uh, you see all these guys and you want to be like them. Um, yeah, that's, that's an important point. Like you said, choose the right path and, yeah, I think uh, the teams are, are smart enough to, to, give, to give young riders the support. It's not just, uh, you know, if they are signing them, it's not to burn them or do something like that. They, they're doing it yeah. in a smart way. So you've got some people with knowledge. And I, I think, I think they, they know what they're doing.
0: That's good. That's good to hear. Well, well, Pavel, uh, we're we're coming towards an hour. We've been it's just gone very very quickly, and um, we haven't. And it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, you're very, you know, you're a, very, a great conversationalist. We could we could talk all day, despite you only being having a few years in the game. Uh, you got clearly got a, a very level head on your shoulders. Um, I wish you all the best for the coming season. I cannot wait for the racing to start. Only like yeah, just over five weeks time five yeah. weeks time the first uh, yeah, and, yeah and you're i believe you're doing the route yeah, the Ocitanese. yeah
1: yeah there is stage three is like on my home roads. i would say from start to finish so yeah it's quite kind of cool
0: good stuff and uh, and hopefully you'll you'll make the cut for the tour de france as well i look forward to uh, to seeing you uh, <laughs> yeah. progress this year but I before so. we go we're going to we're going to end the show if you don't mind with, uh, we don't normally do it this way, but you, the conversation's been that scintillating that I've I completely forgotten about Guess That Snack, but let's yeah. do it <laughs> to yeah. close I the show. Do okay? it. Yeah, yeah, So let's do Guess That Snack now. Um, we'll, I'm just going to, so basically we've got, I've got three snacks. Now, you, you know the drill. I mean, we're 10, ten yeah. episodes in. You've listened yeah. to a few out training. You've you told me the score. So I've got three snacks for you. Um, we have popcorn. Oh, actually, we need the theme. So it's time for Pavel Sivakov's Guess. That snack. Guess
1: that snack. Guess that snack.
0: Oh, yeah. Guess that snack. <laughs> Here we go. The wonderful dulcet tone, Cecile Utrop Ludwig, yeah. providing, providing the uh, the vocals there. Uh, so, got the snacks ready. We've got three snacks for you, Pavel. We'll go through them. And, and then, as you know, I'm going to pop each one in my mouth, okay. crunch them, and you have to guess. So, we've got mini pretzels, okay? Yep. Yeah. You know, mini, you, know yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can just, you can just hear them. That's what they sound like in a bowl. <laughs> we have toffee popcorn. Okay. Mm, yeah. So, got some toffee popcorn sounds, in the mix as well. Sounds good. Sounds delicious. Sounds, they, are, they are flipping tasty, actually, mate. Very, very tasty indeed. And we've also got Cheetos. Now, you're aware of Cheetos, aren't you? Huh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. aware of I was going to send of, you a yeah, phone. Yeah.
0: I was going to send you a photograph of a cheetah. Nah, but, I know what it is. Uh, yeah, it's like fluffy,
1: fluffy, fluffy, fluffy crispy. Exactly. It? Yeah.
0: Exactly. And they're, they're cheese flavored. Not that I'm going to ask yeah. you to guess the flavor. That would be a, a step too far, Pavel. So here we go. Ready yourself. Are you? I mean, it's. I mean, it must be. It must be quite nerve wracking, do this. Must be like being on the start ramp of a of a yeah. Grand Tour time yeah. trial. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so we're going in. For snack number one. Okay, is this popcorn? Is it a pretzel or is it a Cheeto? It's going in now. Listen closely. Mm. I can do another one. I'll give yeah, you another chance. Yeah. Here we go.
1: Um popcorn. Correct! Oh yes! No oh, one out of one!
0: Oh, yes, fantastic stuff. So that's a very, very good start. A very good start. Next up, oh, this is simple now. It's either one of two. Is this a Cheeto or is this a pretzel, Pavel? Here we go. It's going in now.
1: That's definitely a pretzel. mundo <laughs>
0: okay. Wonderful form. Oh, I if mean, you could carry this form... Into the Tour de France, mate. Yeah. Who knows? Who yeah. knows what's going to yeah. happen? And obviously, the final one is. Oh, that sounds different, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, a really different. Craft, yeah,
1: mate. you yeah. know your snacks. Yeah, oh, even though I, I don't have so many snacks here, but yeah.
0: I'm sorry, mate. You are yeah. well, on a training camp. You've got to be yeah, good, haven't no, you? So uh, I mean,
1: I have to go. I have to to make the the cut to the tour. So yeah, now is the time okay. uh, to after lockdown. I, I I had enough during the lockdown. So yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Well, it, well,
0: if you if you do make the tour and you get yourself to Paris, I'll send you a packet of Cheetos as a little reward. How's oh, that sound? Oh,
1: great! Yeah, yeah, sounds good. <laughs>
0: fantastic stuff, mate. Well, Pablo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, best of luck for well the start of the new season. Although we're actually halfway through the year, uh, I'm sure you'll you'll have a successful one. Pass my regards on to the lads in the training camp as well, yeah. and uh, hopefully catch up with you very very soon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you very
1: much. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Nice one, mate. Thanks nice. a lot. Thanks, Matt.
0: The Grand Chores was full of drama last week as I heroically cleaned the shower whilst injured. This week the gutters need cleaning, and it was a real opportunist attack. Now I don't want to spoil the result, so without further ado, it's time for the Grand Chores stage six, cleaning the gutters. Welcome to stage six of the Grand Chores. And today we have another technical outdoor stage. It is clearing the guttering. Now, uh, before we start clearing the guttering, just a little bit of detail, some, um, some geographical context for you. We're here at the extension to our, our terraced Victorian house. Um, one storey high. Um, and all I'm going to need to get to the guttering um, is just a small metal chair. A nice rigid chair. It's safe. It's been tested. Um, I've got a plastic bag to put the bits into. Um, I've also got a pair of heavy gloves, which I'm just putting on now. You can just hear me putting one. If you hear screaming in the background, um, it has actually kids in a swimming pool, a couple of doors down. So basically you can just hear the chair there on the wooden deck. You're gonna step up now. Obviously clearing the guttering is a key job. You need to do it a couple of times a year. You need to make sure that the guttering's clear. Cause if you get a blockage, that could actually leak indoors. And that's the last thing you want, having to call a plumber um, when you've got water flooding down the inside of your wall. Now, what we've got here, Quite surprising start to clearing the gutter. We've got a stone bunny rabbit. I'm not gonna remove that, I'm gonna leave that. What I'm doing now, can just hear me scooping? It's a big scooping technique. I've been practicing this in soil in the back garden over the last couple of weeks, to get my technique right. And I've already cleared at least a foot of guttering. Look at this, there's a lot of residue coming from the tarred roof as well. So a lot of residue has been swept off during stormy, windy and wet weather. A Couple of big chunks of moss a lot in the bag already now. I'm just getting off the chair, moving along. I've cleared about a good four feet already. Moving very, very rapidly. Left a trowel on the roof, got to reach across. The ribs hurting. I have got a TUE for the rib again. I'm on some paracetamol. Still causing me a bit of grief. Right-handed, scooping. Big, big chunk of moss there. Broken into little pieces. A few of those pieces have fallen on the floor. Gonna to have to catch up with those later on. At least two minutes in now. Scooping away through cobwebs as well. The vast majority of the contents of the guttering is moss. Big chunks of moss that grow there, uninhibited, unless, of course, checked. I oh, want a few bits of moss have just tangled themselves in my glove, and my fingers come through at the top of the glove, my forefinger is now exposed to the element. Ele- my forefinger was exposed, to the elements had to cut short the recording there, and now putting the recording device forward slash phone back into my pocket. I'm remounting for the last couple of feet. <laughs> Taking the bag in one hand. It's a difficult manoeuvre moving down now with the broken rib. I've left the trowel on top of the roof. That's the last thing you want to do. Reaching to get the trowel. I'm in the last section now. There's a bit of an overhang as well. This is where your homework pays dividends. This is where you need to check out the parkour. Look at the map the night before. Talk it through with your teammates and your director sportif. And I'm in. I'm in. The fingers are luckily quite slim. Just scooping them underneath a the little slate overhang here. Little piece of masonry there, lots of dust that's built up over the years. A couple of little tiny snails there. Of course, some collateral damage, very sad to see, but they still need to be moved away. They could cause a blockage that could be a massive problem in the weeks and months to come as we head into autumn and then into the deep of winter when we get that increased amount of rainfall. But it looks like we've cleared it. Just go-
1: Yes, well, our apologies there. Mash seems to have come down with a case of the Kremlin, so... Until we can reach him again, I'm afraid you'll have to just listen to this helicopter.
0: It certainly does look like we've cleared it. Had a little bit of a drop out there. I'm so close to the building. My signal dropped out there. Managed to dip back into my pocket and self-edit on the move. Just another skill that you need when you're tackling these grand grandjaws, especially ones outdoors. A dynamic environment when anything can happen at any time of the day. But I'm done. The bag is full. The guttering is clear. Stage six is done. Next week, we're going to have another exciting edition of Ask Matt. So get in touch via Twitter with your questions at Real Stevens and at Sigma Sports. And I'll answer them live on air, by which I mean pre-recorded in the medium of a podcast. Seriously, ask me whatever you like. And don't forget, it's a great time to upgrade to ultimate performance with ceramic speed. Order an OSPW system at Sigma Sports before June the 30th and get a free ceramic speed UFO chain. Just head to sigmasports.com forward slash podcast for all the details. Thanks again to Perry App Gwyneth for his musical jingles on the podcast and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or even your hairdresser as soon as they reopen. And finally, I'd just like to thank uh, Pavel Sivakov for his time today. It's been an
1: absolute pleasure. Uh, hold on what, what on earth is that, pa- Pavel? Are you asleep? Oh da, toko Weird. I think he's asleep. I think he's dreaming in Russian.
0: Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye bye.